Okay, let's, we're going to look, uh, we're in lesson nine today. We're going to look at a new generation. Remember I told you that we can divide Judges into three parts. Last week we looked at the first part uh, where we talked about the continued efforts and their failures. This week we're going to look at the Judges, the period of the Judges. The final section is really uh, information that we're going to see concerning what it was like during this time period. We're going to see a little bit of that when we talk about the judges today. So we're going to go through several judges uh, in this period today, all the way up to Deborah and Barak. Okay, so up to Deborah and Barak. Now, let's, let's take a look here. First of all, we're going to see a new generation. This is in chapter 2, verse 6, through chapter 3, verse 6. And this is going to kind of prepare you to understand why things are going to go the way they're going. Why things are going to go the way they're going. Remember, when we closed out, the first part, verses 1 to 5, was talking about the angel of the Lord really expressing condemnation because of their tendency to what? Worship the idols. To go whoring is another word that is often used in the Old Testament. Which, by the way, idolatry is often equated with sexual immorality in the Old Testament. Do you understand? So it's seen as committing adultery on God, not being faithful to God. All right, so let's talk about the next generation. So when Joshua dismissed the people, they returned to the inheritance to possess it. So it's picking up at that final meeting where Joshua was at, where he's basically challenging them because he knows he's going to die. So Judges is picking up at that point where the people are dismissed by Joshua and they go back to possess their inheritance. They go back to do whatever it takes for their inheritance to be theirs. That means either get rid of the Canaanites or, or cultivate the land or whatever. That generation who saw the mighty things God did served the Lord until their deaths. All right, so that generation, they were the ones who firsthand saw God do the mighty things that he did. And what kind of mighty things? Well, first of all, they're the generation that what wandered in the wilderness, okay? They were born in the wilderness. They saw God doing whatever he did in the wilderness. They saw God give them victory over the Amorites on the eastern part of the Jordan. They saw God, what, split the Jordan so that they could walk across. They saw God defeat Jericho by bringing down the walls. They saw God give them the land. So, and basically they've been challenged by Joshua to serve the Lord only. And guess what? It says here, they were faithful until their deaths. So they saw everything until their deaths. Okay? Joshua was 110 years old when he died and they buried him in his inheritance. So he was 110 years old when he died, and they buried him in his inheritance. Okay? So he had an inheritance in Ephraim, and they buried him there. Now, having said that, when you get to the last verse 10, it kind of, well, I'll just be honest with you, is going to express here what happens next? After that faithful generation, a new generation arose 
that did not know the Lord. After that faithful generation, a new generation arose that did not know the Lord. So the children of the faithful generation, this is what it's saying here, didn't know the Lord. But the others, their parents were faithful. So let's talk about that for a moment. We see that today, right? Don't we see that? Is there any guarantee because you love the Lord, you're following the Lord, that your kids are going to follow the Lord? Is there, is there a guarantee there? I mean, sometimes we operate that way. We think, well, if I bring them to church, if I do all the right things, if they're a part of the youth group, you know, if I make sure they, they quote, pray that prayer and get baptized, they're going to be okay. Don't we think that way? But is that a guarantee? No, it's not a guarantee. Every generation has to own the faith themselves. Do you understand what I'm saying? Every generation has to own the faith themselves. Otherwise, they don't know the Lord. Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? They have to be. You can't, like for instance, I have four kids. I can't make that decision for my kids. And that someday, Lori and I are going to have grandkids. We can't make that decision for our grandkids. We want to make that. Don't we all want to make that decision for them? Yeah, we sure do. But we can't, right? You find out real quick when it comes to spiritual things exactly how helpless you are. Isn't that right? Because you can't make spiritual decisions for your children. And here we have a generation that saw God do mighty things and their children don't believe. Wow. You know, in, in our church world, we would say, well, they must have did something wrong with their kids. Isn't that what we normally do? I mean, we, we prejudge them and say, well, they must have did something wrong with their kids. That's not the issue. You can do all the right things, and I know people who have done all the right things. There is no guaranteeing that. Nothing. Nothing can guarantee that. And so we have a generation that arises after the faithful generation, and Judges tells us very clearly they don't know the Lord. They don't know the Lord. So here's what happens. Here's the result. Israel did evil and provoked the Lord by embracing the gods of the nations around them. Israel did evil and provoked the Lord by embracing the gods of the nations around them. They did evil because for some reason they were enticed by the fertility gods of the Canaanites. And the concept that they had to appease these gods in order to get a fruitful land because it's an agrarian culture, to have children, whatever. And so they were appeased by this. In his, in his anger, now you're going to see a cycle here. This is a cycle that continues to happen even up until this day. In his anger, the Lord handed Israel to plunderers as he said he would. So here they are. Think about this. 
Remember, when they went into the land, everybody was afraid of them. They were afraid of their God because they heard what Israel did, to, what God did to, to Egypt when he brought Israel out. They heard what he did to Og and Sheon, the Amorite kings on the east of the Jordan. They heard what happened to Jericho. They were afraid of the Israelites. Now we're talking the next generation. They're being plundered. God is allowing them to be plundered, disciplined. You understand? God's allowing them to be disciplined. Yet the Lord, now this is the graciousness of God. Now you can't say that God is not gracious. Okay, so even though he disciplines them, look at what it says. You're going to see this pattern over and over in Judges. You're going to see this pattern over and over in the Old Testament. Yet the Lord raised up deliverers or judges to deliver them from their oppressors. You know, they would cry out to God. Okay, they're disciplined. There's an oppressor. Israel cries out to God for relief. God raises up a judge, a deliverer, and then, quote, that generation will serve the Lord. And then the next generation doesn't do that. And again, we enter into this cycle into this cycle. But Israel continued to chase after other gods when the judge died. So, okay, so you raise up this judge who kind of brings order to everything, gets people back where they need to be as far as their thinking, as far as the Lord. As soon as that judge dies, guess what? Back to our old tendencies. Back to our old tendencies again, chasing after other gods. Chasing after their other gods gods. See, here's the thing. Here's what he points out. The Lord did not drive out the nations and they became a test for Israel. That, you know, can I be honest with you? There are parallels to the Christian life. When he saved you, okay, when you came to the place of understanding who Jesus was and what he has done for you, and you entered into that relationship with him, and you experienced his salvation, did God immediately remove all the temptations from your life? Did he? Do you guys live in a, you got this bubble around you that just kind of blows away the temptations? You, 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 don't have, you live in a temptation world free. A free world, excuse me. A temptation free world. Nobody. We all do. We're, we've, we're continually tested day by day, right? So were they. So were they. The writer lists the nations left among Israel, who they intermarried with. Now, this is the remember they were forbidden to marry into the nations. They were forbidden to do this. When they did that before, God had judged them severely. This happened when they were in the wilderness. They know this. They know the sin that happened, what what God did to them. But guess what? It tells you right here in the text that they didn't respond well to the nations being among them, and so they gave their daughters and their sons to these nations in marriage. Okay? In marriage. Which meant that they ended up continually worshiping their gods. Now, this is the pattern. This is what we see here. So then when we come to chapter 3, verse 7, through chapter 5, verse 31, we're going to see... Really, actually, for most of the book now, we're going to see that there is a listing of these judges. Now, this I don't believe this is a complete listing. 
This is just a listing of the judges that you need to know about and that are significant to this period. But this is judges that occur over really a 300-year period. Okay? But we're only going to look at the first four or five of them today. And that's because when we get next week, we're going to start seeing Gideon. That's going to take a little bit more time. We're going to come to a fellow by the name of Jephthah. That's going to take a little bit more time. And then we're also going to come to Samson. Okay? You know, Samson, muscle-bound guy, no brains. Okay? That's my assessment, but we're going to see that. Okay? So, I think he did have brains. All right? So, here's, here's what I want you to see. Okay? First of all, because of idolatry, Israel was oppressed by a Mesopotamian king for eight years. Now, Mesopotamia, all right, so here's what I want you to do, all right? Um, if you have your Bible, okay, in the back of your Bible is a Bible map. So I want you just to uh, go to a Bible map that kind of shows you really the whole area. All right, so you have Israel, and then you've got what we know today as Iran, Turkey, uh, we also know what is known as Iraq and Saudi Arabia, okay? Mesopotamia during this time was all of what we know as Saudi Arabia into Iraq and then to the north of Israel, all right? That's Mesopotamia. Now, that's the area that originally Abraham came from. He came from Ur of Chaldees, which was in Mesopotamia. So God raises up a Mesopotamian king. Now you're like, why a king from outside? Well, I'll be honest with you, you'll know this because this is very important for the history of Israel. Palestine is really in a crossroads area between Mesopotamia and Egypt. It's a great trade area and it was a strategic area that was constantly fought for and even is to this day. Okay? Even is to this day. So God raises up a Mesopotamian king who oppresses Israel for eight years. Alright? So the text tells you that he's basically dominating the area, oppressing the Israelites for eight years. The Lord raised up Othanel of Judah. So this is a relative of Caleb. Remember Caleb? One of the two spies who said we should go into the land. Remember, he comes into the thing and he asks for that mountain, okay, in, in Judah. Well, Othanel is one of his offspring, okay? Scripture tells you exactly who he is, to deliver them, and they had peace under his rule for 40 years. So he raises up Israel, they throw off the oppression of the Mesopotamians, and they have peace for 40 years, okay? 40 years. That's all we're going to know about this. And really, that's the whole point that author is going to make. He's going to go through a series of judges here to show you this cycle that I just told you about. The cycle, what? Sin, oppression, cry out to God, raise up a deliverer, deliverance, peace, and guess what? When the judge dies... Got a problem again. Cycle continues on. That's what we're going to see illustrated here. Okay? Now, because of her sin, 
the Lord allowed Moab. Now, you remember Moab? That was on the eastern part of Jordan. Remember who Moab is? Those are the descendants of one of the sons of who? Lot. So this is a direct relationship to Israel. Moab and their allies, so the nation of Moab, plus some other allies that they got, Amalek and others, the Lord allowed Moab and their allies to oppress Israel for 18 years this time. Wow, a little bit longer period of oppression, all right? A little bit longer period of oppression. So because Israel cried out, the Lord raised up Ahud of Benjamin as a deliverer. What a name. You know, we, we're picking unusual names these years for our children. How would you like to name your son Ehud? That would be great, wouldn't it? That would be very unique. I think we'd be the only one in America, if you think about that, okay? Because Israel cried out, the Lord raised up Ehud of Benjamin as a deliverer. Now, here's what Ehud did, okay? Now, what usually happened when you're oppressed by a nation, they require you to give them tribute. So you're oppressed, so the, the, the oppressing king says, okay, like for instance, if we were conquered by the Moabites here, they would say to Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, we want $1 billion a year or something in gold and silver. All right, that's called a tribute. And what the oppressed nation would do is, is that in order to maintain the peace and not be oppressed anymore or be wiped out, they would pay the tribute. Well, Israel is to pay a tribute to Moab, and Ehud goes to deliver the tribute. Now, the text tells you that he asked to see the king by himself because he had a secret message. Now, I didn't go into this, but it's pretty pretty gruesome details. He goes and sees the king in his inner chamber and says he has a secret message to tell him, and he stabs him, and it says that the king was so fat that when he stabbed him in his belly, the king's fat enveloped the knife and just, he left him there and uh, scurried out the balcony and the servants were thinking that the king is using the bathroom. That's why he's not responding. And after a while, of course, they figure out he's dead. But then Ehud, when he goes back, raises a call to Israel. And, well, here, I'm getting ahead of myself. Ehud killed the king of Moab before he delivered Israel, and they had peace for 80 years. So he goes back, raises the call, Israel rallies, they throw off the oppression of Moab, they have peace for 80 years. 80 years. Now, there's another judge, well, he gets one verse. One verse. Okay? Another great name, Shamgar. Okay, Shamgar killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. 600 Philistines with an ox goad and delivered Israel. Does anybody know what an ox goad is? Anybody know what it is? It's a cattle prod. Now, they weren't electric back then, okay? Now, if you come down to my office, you'll see on my shelf I have... I have a very unusual club that's there, 
okay? It's really the knot of a, of a, of a branch that's, and it's been polished. And if you wallop somebody with that, it really hurts. But what they use, and it's from Kenya, they, they prod their cattle to go along with something like this. It's a similar type thing. He killed 600 Philistines with a cattle prod. What does that tell you? How did he do that? God helped him to do that. And he's only given one verse. Maybe it's because of the significance of him killing 600 Philistines with a cattle prod. But again, this is around the same time as Ehud. Okay? Ehud. Now, we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about, this is, this is one that raises questions. Chapter 4 through 5, we're going to come to Deborah and Barak. Deborah and Barak. So here we go. After Ehud's death, Israel returned to the sin of idolatry. Isn't that the pattern? Isn't that the pattern that we see? We go back. They go back to the sin of idolatry. The Lord delivered Israel into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan. So he delivers them into the hands of a Canaanite king. Okay? Delivers them into the hands of Jabin, a Canaanite king. Israel cried out to the Lord for deliverance, and the Lord raised up Deborah. Isn't that interesting? God raises up a woman to judge them. And it says that she judged them. She judged them for years. She was also, the scripture tells us, a prophetess. Now what does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, she was of that lineage of prophets who would proclaim God's word to Israel. Okay? So here God has raised up a woman to do this. She was a prophetess who judged Israel at the time. All right? She was a prophetess who judged Israel at the time. Now, Deborah called for Barak, who is a fellow, to rise up, raise up an army to deliver Israel. So she says to Barak, you raise up an army to deliver Israel. Now if you read the text, Barak is kind of, I would be like Barak. Do you really want me to do that? Do you know what I'm saying? He, he hesitates. Because Barak hesitated, Deborah stated that he would not get glory for the victory. So here she is. She's speaking prophetic words to him, saying, okay, you're hesitating, but I'm going to let you know God's going to give this victory, and you're not going to get any glory for it. Text is very clear about that. Okay? Very clear. So obviously an army is raised. Deborah pointed out that a woman would kill the commander of Jabin's armies. Sisera, that a woman will do it. You, you're hesitating. God will give the glory to a woman. Okay? God will give the glory to a woman for killing this guy. All right? God will give a woman the glory to a woman. This is all in chapter 4. This is all taking place in chapter 4. Israel was delivered, and a woman named Jael killed Sisera with a tent peg. 
Now, this is a pretty brutal story. I, I, I'm, I'm going to spend a little bit of time here. here. So here's what's happening. Israel is defeating them. He's coming along in his chariot. He comes to Jael's family. They're not Israelites, but they're part of the people who are under the protection of the Israelites. He asks for shelter, and she gives him warm milk. Now, you ever had warm milk, like right before you go to bed? Anybody, any of you that make you drowsy? Yeah, makes him drowsy. He decides to go to sleep. While he's sleeping, she takes a tent peg. Now, I don't want you to think of one of those measly little yellow ones or those little thin, thin tent pegs that they have at Walmart that you can buy there, okay? I want you to think, how many of you here were in the Army? How many of you in the Army? I was in the Army. Dave, you remember? Those tent pegs in the Army, they were pretty big when you put up a, 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 one of those tents there. They were pretty big. You, you need to think in terms of a tent peg that's pretty serious. She drives it through his head. And he's, and kills him. And she gets the glory for wiping him out. Wiping him out. In fact, it's interesting. How many of you are into Renaissance art? Anybody here into Renaissance art? I think there is a masterpiece that is, I know there's a masterpiece that's displayed in Europe that shows this scene. Renaissance art. It's, it's a well-known, very expensive piece of art that shows this scene where this woman is glorified for wiping out this enemy of God. Okay? Wiping out this enemy of God. And then you come to chapter 5. I'm only going to give you one statement for the whole chapter. Okay? But Deborah sang a song of deliverance because the Lord had delivered Israel. So here again we see a song of deliverance. It's a song of deliverance but a song of praise because who is the one who delivered Israel? God is the one who delivered Israel. Okay? Now, next week, we're going to come to chapter 6. And next week, we're going to see the same cycle. And we're going to get into a little bit more details about the cycle. Exactly what they were doing what the oppression is, how God raises up deliverers, and they're going to give you a little bit more detail about the deliverers because next week we're going to look at a guy by the name of Gideon. Hopefully we'll get through Gideon and get to some other things that were happening during this time period. Okay. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Gideon will start to show you that these judges aren't perfect we oftentimes think that when God raises up men to be leaders in the church, they're perfect. They got their act together. What you're going to see is, is even though God uses Gideon to deliver, you're going to see that Gideon has some problems. And we're going to see that starting next week. And that just kind of shows you a picture of humanity. Okay? Because there's only one who's perfect, right? Who's that? Yeah, Jesus. Okay? Jesus. 